0: Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat.
1: We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future.
2: Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org.
1: This is Kat, and I'm here with Jack and Mac and even Nicole today. Hey
2: guys. Hello. Hey. Oh. Hi. Why don't we go ahead and start with the most important detail of all? I think we should all introduce ourselves and share our favorite drink at Starbucks. Okay, so introduce yourself, Jack. Oh, okay. Well, hello there. My name is Jack, and I'm obsessed with an iced chai latte with almond milk with cinnamon on the top. And if I can spare the extra calories, I go with the vanilla sweet cold foam, which is delicious.
3: I love it. I just recently tried it on the holiday drinks and I became obsessed, but the holiday drinks are gone. So I'm really disappointed. <laughs> um, my name is Kat,
1: and I'm very boring. I like a black tea sweetened or a hot chocolate or a chai. Just basic. But not as basic as a pumpkin spice latte.
0: (laughs) I mean... None of us are that basic, Um, right? That that is so not true. I am so that basic because (laughs) I love the pumpkin (laughs) spice latte when they have it. And nearby Target actually still had the pumpkin syrup. So I totally had that drink like three days ago. I am basic in that way. I'm not sure if I'm basic in any other ways, though. (laughs) Well, I think it's not
2: as basic when you're hacking Starbucks to get a drink out of season. But... um, you know we'll we'll forgive you the pumpkin spice but go ahead and introduce yourself
0: so my name is nicole and when i can't get the basic psl then i totally get a hot chai that's extra hot with no foam and no water and non-fat milk that's a lot
2: of nothing
0: (laughs) i mean do you get any tea with that well that's the point it's more concentrated and stronger with all the nose in it. Okay.
3: I've never had a Thai tea, but you guys are making me like feel like I need to try one. Um, Hi, I'm Mac. I don't have a favorite coffee from Starbucks at this present moment now because they took away my holiday drinks, but it was the white toasted something now. I can't even remember what it was. Was it the toasted white chocolate mocha? Yeah, with two pumps of peppermint in the sweet cold foam and then they put wrinkles on the top.
0: So, Jack, what is your role in the child welfare system and how did you get involved? I am a foster mom. Um, When
2: I was in my 20s, my dad was a guardian ad litem and also a relative caregiver. And that kind of introduced me to the foster care system. But also I knew that I wanted to give a home to kids who didn't have one, which is why we adopted our first child. A few years later, decided to start fostering when he
0: wanted siblings. Very cool. Kat, what is your role in child welfare? and how did you get involved?
1: I write CBHAs and I'm a therapist. And when I was in grad school, I had to facilitate a parent education class for people who were involved in the child welfare system. Some kids have been removed, some hadn't. And so I was wildly unqualified, really young. And so I had a lot of imposter syndrome, I guess. That was the first time I ever got involved with the child welfare system. It was definitely a lot. That following summer, I was a intern in the press department at the Children's Defense Fund. Every day we had to scour all the news and LexisNexis and all of that on any topics about child welfare, Medicaid, guns and kids, any of those topics. And then we had to prepare a press packet for our CEO so that she could have a soundbite if someone called her. That summer, I learned a lot about child welfare. About a year later, I started working as a case manager for Child Protective Services. And I did that for two years. And then I was involved with an adoption agency, did that for a couple of years. And ever since then, I've been doing CBHAs and therapy.
2: That is so cool. You've sat on so many sides of the child welfare table, working in research and politics, working in case management, working as a therapist. It's kind of neat that you've got all those different angles to have viewed this through.
3: Yeah, they were fun experiences for sure. Yeah what is
0: your role in child welfare?
3: My role is I'm a bio mom and I guess my addiction got me involved in the child welfare system, but I'm two years sober now and I help everybody I can. Was that like a week ago or
2: two weeks ago where you hit that two year mark? It was January 19th. So however long that was. That's
0: amazing. Nicole, what is your role in
2: child welfare and how did you get involved?
0: So I am a foster parent, but first I was a guardian ad litem and I still am a guardian ad litem and have been for four and a half years. And I've been a foster parent for the past two years. I ultimately decided to become a foster parent because I didn't like what I was seeing as foster homes and foster parents as a guardian ad litem. I thought I might be able to make a difference. So that is what got me involved in the child welfare system. As far as becoming a guardian ad litem, I have always loved kids and jumped at the opportunity to work with them. And I was fortunate enough to work at amazing places that supported a lot of organizations that directly impacted children. I wanted to be around them in a more impactful way. And there is no more impactful way than raising them. Nack, what does your house look like?
3: I have three kids that are with me full time during the week. And then I have one kid that's with me on the weekend. What are their ages? Uh, I have an 11 year old. She just turned 11. A nine year old, a seven year old. And then my baby is going to be four. I also have one that is 12, but that's just... That's just a whole nother episode.
0: Right now I have six kids. I have a 17 year old, a nine year old, an eight year old, a four year old, a two year old and a one year old. (laughs) And how many are foster and how many are adopted? I have four adopted and two foster right now. So my teenager graduated high school. So he's kind of home right now and working on getting a job. Jack, what does your house look like right now? so right now i've got um four
2: adopted and three foster ages are 13 11 6 4 3 3 7 weeks and it's me and my husband jack daddy and we've got a great dane a bloodhound and a partridge in a pear tree right and hedgehogs and chickens don't you miss the goats you had no. You have Yeah, <laughs> actually, every- the one that I miss the most, I get to see every time I go to Brendel's house, so. I have three biological. They are
1: 14, 12, and 8. Two boys and a girl. They keep it pretty real around here. Does anyone have a favorite episode. I can't say that I have a favorite episode. That is really hard because some of them are like interwoven with the culture of fostering the future at this point. And it's so hard to like reach in and pluck one out as my favorite. So I'm going to have to think about that and maybe even decline to answer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of favorites. One of mine was definitely the placement episode with Elise. Placement is like where the magic happens, right? I don't know, like I I really enjoyed making that episode and listening to it after. I think the one that got my heart the most was uh, the episode with Madeline. I don't think that a story had ever hit me quite that hard before. And it definitely opened my heart more to wanting to help out with older kids. My favorite one And I'm biased to this with Smushy's episode. That was a really great episode. And I was really glad that she opened up so much about
0: it. I would say that one episode that I think I learned a lot from and was really eye-opening for me was the occupational therapist episode. It really put me on the path of totally wanting an OT for all of my kids and I promptly went and got on her (laughs) waitlist. You mean the Um, year waitlist? That would be the waitlist. Even though I had kind of been around this world for a few years and I've had kids go to an OT, I didn't understand fully what an OT could be utilized for. And so that episode for me was really educational. The other episode, and I'm biased here, was the episode that I did. It was empowering for me. I loved your episode. It was a wild ride. (laughs) And of course, because of what I do professionally, I also loved the attorney episode.
2: And you know what? I love the episodes with me and Mac talking about our co-parenting and her journey to successfully completing her case plans. Whenever I listen to those, I tear up. I
0: laugh. There are a lot of social influencers in foster care on like social media, and I don't necessarily follow a ton of them closely but I totally follow whatever Jack tells me about (laughs) and whatever she tells me to follow (laughs) so I don't have anyone to share there but I would love for Jack to share some of the ones that she follows and if any of you guys follow any other social influencers on social media
1: I do follow some. I don't remember any of their names, but I follow some on TikTok. It's really interesting. I know one is the Doubtree Dozen. TikTok is like just the right amount of time for me, I think.
2: One of my absolute favorite people to follow on Instagram, because Instagram is where I spend most of the time. I love Family and Coffee. That's her handle, Family and Coffee. She works in case management. She is also a relative caregiver. She has taken her younger sisters and has adopted them and raised them. She also fosters teens. She has the experience of working on both sides of foster care as a case manager and as a foster parent and dealt with the whole process of adoption through that. And she has had some things happen over the past year that are just like things you wouldn't believe. I've really learned a lot from her. One of her foster kids that she just adopted like two days ago was a pregnant teen when she came to her house. and Aww. Yeah, so she's a grandma <laughs> and she's super young because she's started fostering I think when she was like 19 the Instagram account foster the teens she focuses on teen foster care that's what she does she does emergency teen foster care I've really learned a lot from her I love the welcome basket she does there's one foster.parenting and she gives tutorial videos on when a kid comes into your house like this is how I do my tour this is how I show them like where everything is this is what a placement call looks like and she like acts it out
3: I am a obsessed with watching fostering parents on TikTok, how they show tutorials on what they do when the kids come into care, gift baskets they do for when each kid comes in. That's what my TikTok is filled with now. I
2: need all the tips, (laughs) man. Can you send them to all of us, please? Do you want to hear my welcome basket story? Oh my gosh, totally. Since we started doing these episodes where we're talking to people who were teens in foster care, I've been specifically asking, like, send me the big kids, send me the big kids. I want the teens. Surprisingly, it has been difficult to get them to send me teens. So I started getting teens. I wanted to do these welcome baskets. The first couple teens come, one of the placements that I got, he is 14, but he thinks he's like 25. He looked at the basket and he's like, what am I going to do with this crap? This isn't the brand I use. And he threw it on the floor and never touched any of it. So it kind of like, (laughs) I know that it wasn't about the basket or whatever, but it definitely dampened my excitement about welcome (laughs) baskets.
0: I have found it is so much easier for me, at least with the older kids that have come into my home, I have kind of basic things at the house. And then if they're here, for more than the night or they're gonna be here longer term, I just take them to the store and let them pick out a couple of things. Sometimes maybe they haven't been able to go to the store or pick out their own things. That's been a little bit easier for me. Also, I could just be lazy and not want to make a basket.
2: One of the things that we always ask everybody, and you know, we do those canvas boards when we go to events and stuff. What is one word to describe foster care? Dumpster fire. I mean, (laughs) lately that couldn't be more true. Just the whole system.
3: Not any one person. Well, when I think of foster care, I think of family because I got a whole nother family with my kids being in foster care. And you're stuck with us.
0: I always kind of see the positive side of it or I try to, right? And for me, it's like, like love and compassion is what I think of because that's what I try to bring like in my home but if I think about the system as a whole I feel like it's always in transition or always in flux and yeah. there's lack of stability I guess it depends on everyone's personal experience
1: I mean I do feel like the system tremendously broken but all the people in it there are a lot of wonderful people in foster care that Are holding it together for these kids and thank God for them.
2: The system may be broken, but the people that we meet that are involved, the people are just incredible. This is what I think of the system it's trauma. Everybody has trauma. The kids are traumatized. The parents have experienced their own trauma. All of us that are involved get traumatized by being involved. But then the other side of it is the comfort side because all of the people just want to comfort the kids and help them get past
0: it. Kat, do you have some thoughts as to how? less kids could come into foster care. I completely believe
1: in the concept of community schools. There are public schools that offer lots and lots and lots of different support services like dental care, clothing closet for uniforms, haircuts, a grocery store, all of those things. That community effort supports families as a whole and those ecosystems among the schools. When your pediatrician happens to be at your school once a month or your dentist or if you're able to go to ballet class at your elementary school after after school. And then when your mom brings you, she can also uh, you know, do something for herself as well, like uh, another class. Those elements that support the school, the kids in it, the parents, the family as a whole, that ecosystem in general helps prevent. Kids from being removed because people are getting their needs met. There are always going to be reasons to remove kids, but too many families reach a breaking point just from not having their economic needs met and not having medical care. I think that we need more support within our community, especially since the cost of rent and houses has gone up so much, but our wages haven't risen to support that. Families need more support in the form of systems because you cannot artificially manufacture extended family.
0: I know of a school in Hillsborough County that has some of those things that you mentioned, but not to the extent that you mentioned them. I think that that is such an awesome concept and I completely agree.
1: There are some in New York and there are YouTube videos if. and if you guys are interested, you can watch that concept is probably against some people's beliefs and values, but I completely lean into that. It's similar to the concept of Head Start and how a child cannot learn if they are hungry or mom is stressed out. You can't thrive in a burning building. Community schools are a much bigger, they offer a lot more. They help families to thrive instead of struggle to survive. So many of
2: the kids in foster care, their parents were in foster care and their grandparents were in foster care. We got this cyclical nature of trauma and addiction trying to treat the trauma and so forth obviously we're not doing something right when a family comes into the system and then that child then has their kid come into the system however many years later what is it that can come in the gap there what is it that can break the cycle the nature of trying to get kids home as soon as possible balanced with not just trying to put a band-aid on a situation that needs stitches. I've had a lot of kids that have come through my house recently where they were reunified in like three or four months and then they were brought back into care a couple months later. On one hand, you want kids in foster care as short a time as possible. The speed to reunification is supposed to do the least amount of damage on the kids. But at the same time, you're not going to disrupt generations of trauma and addiction and domestic violence and mental health in four months. You're not going to change the course of your life over doing a couple things over four months. And we know that the first part of that four months, it's probably like a month till your first court hearing. And then like there's such a small amount of time. If you're talking about four months, there's such a small amount of time that actual rehabilitation and growth and learning is happening. It's just hard for me to believe that that's enough, especially when those kids are just coming right back into care. If we're going to go through the effort of taking a child away from their family and out of their home and everything that they know and feel comfort in, then we've got to really do our best and not just, okay, let's check some boxes and get that kid back home. And I don't want kids to linger in foster care. We need to do more. We need to also do more checking back after a kid is reunified, making sure those families are getting resources. I know quite a few families, and this doesn't apply to you at all, Mac, just to be clear, because I I feel like they're always calling you. I know a couple of families where they were reunified and nobody ever came after. And I'm not talking about 10, 15 years ago. Like that one episode that we did, I'm talking about within the past year that a child was reunified and nobody ever checked back. There was no follow up. There was nothing ever done. And come to find out the thing that had to happen for that child to be reunified had been undone. And the problem had reappeared very quickly. If a child comes into foster care, that we do everything we can to get that child mental health so that one day their kids aren't in foster care.
1: I think that's such a great point. We know that long term change happens when you make steady one degree turns. You know, on a consistent basis, when parents are making like considerable change rapidly, it's more likely to be
3: undone. I think that's a great point. Well, I've been thinking about it the whole time everyone's been talking. I remember before I was removed, I didn't want to do drugs anymore. I like I didn't want to, but I didn't know how to get help. And I was too ashamed to like ask for help or like, and then I didn't know where to go to ask for help. So if there was like more resources for people to get help, if I wasn't so scared to like look for help, maybe my kids wouldn't have gotten gone into care. Because in the beginning, I didn't like I didn't want to do them anymore. I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how to stop. And every time I tried to stop, I'd start right back again. So if there was more resources to help you before my kids actually got removed, I feel like that would help so much better or if safe at home because I had safe at home and I don't know how they do their thing. But like I was getting high on and off the whole entire time I had safe at home. They weren't doing their job on checking on me and doing what they needed to do. Before my kids got removed. So if they're like, I just feel like if there was more resources and I wasn't so scared of being judged on doing drugs in the first place, then I don't think my kids would have gotten removed. If I would have gotten the help. Yeah,
0: So bad. Removing the stigma of actually saying I have a problem. Please help me. I think that's a great point, too. Hey, Nicole, did you tell us uh, your solution? I really agree with what Matt said. It really resonated with me, like kind of removing the stigma, knowing where to go to ask for help without the threat of your whole world crashing upon you. That kind of delves into like the mental health aspect then, right? Then you're talking about like the anxiety and the depression that those thoughts are causing. And then who the hell wants to ask for help? More resources devoted to safe at home so that kids don't have to come into care. Hey, Kat. Yes. If
2: I could give you a magic wand and change one thing about the system, what would you do?
1: I would pay case managers more because I think that they are undervalued and the turnover is too high. It's a waste of resources to keep training more people. And I think that if case management were paid more, they would feel like they were valuable. Kind of like what I said before, instead of like just surviving each day, maybe they would be thriving
3: because their personal needs would be met. And if case management is thriving, think of all the good they can do. Nobody stays long. So then the parents are going through case manager after case manager and nobody really knows the situation because there's so many different people coming in and
2: out. Agreed. The one thing I would change is that more focus would be put on, this sounds kind of stupid, more focus would be put on the child. Really, the child would have more of a voice throughout the case plan. And if that's from the child directly or from the guardian ad litem, volunteer and foster parent, a lot of times when you go to court, The actual voice of the child is not being heard. The guardian ad litem attorney is repeating some of what they hear from the cam who repeated some of what they heard from the volunteer. And the person who actually knows the child may be asked a question here or there, may make a statement here or there. But for the most part, the people who are being heard from and who are advocating are usually not even people who know the child. And I feel like, how can the judge? properly understand a situation when they're not really getting to know the kid. There should be more of a focus on the child. And that their experience is as least traumatizing as possible. So I would change a lot of things if I had a magic wand. But I think one of the things I feel like I would focus on first would be to give more of a voice to the child and not necessarily in, in the big decisions, but everybody who who is involved in all these decisions that are affecting the child ought to know what the child thinks, what the child needs, what the child wants, and how we can make this whole situation A little less
0: crappy for them, right? Yeah. So I think something that I would like to see more of, and we've talked about this before, Jack, no matter what changes, there's always going to be a need for foster homes. I just wish that more people would realize that they are capable of becoming foster parents. Because that would also alleviate a pressure point in the system where kids have a stable, steady place to go and they aren't being bounced and traumatized by multiple placements or multiple moves. So I think more foster homes is also crucial for the kids that do come into care um, so there's more stability for them, and so that those of us who
2: are foster parents don't have such full houses because there's somebody right. there to ease the burden. And, you know, if we could each just have one or two foster kids instead of three, four, or five because the need is so great, like wouldn't that be a great day?
1: Yeah, we should probably pay foster parents more. Also, someone on ones to talked about maybe like student loan forgiveness for foster parents. I think that's a great idea. Like phenomenal
0: idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it is. So Mac, what is your favorite thing about working on fostering the future?
3: My favorite thing is hearing different sides of the foster care system, like the lawyers and like other kids in foster care, hearing everybody else's side. I know my side and I know the hell I've been through, but I like hearing other people's side because then it makes my side not feel so bad sometimes.
2: I got to tell you guys, my favorite thing about working on the podcast is like the moment that we're in the studio together and we're talking to each other or to someone. Maybe not as much today because, you know, you're not in here with me and as much as I love interviewing and I'll do it over zoom any day of the week the actual being in here whether we've got a board or not but a board always makes it better just the moments of conversation that we have when we're sitting in these chairs looking at each other makes my heart so freaking happy. I could care less whether we ever even put it out. It just makes me happy to do it. I'm not passionate about editing. You know what I mean? But I'm (laughs) passionate about sitting and having conversations in here with y'all and with other people. So my absolute favorite part is the moment that we're in here. And I know sometimes time really does get away from us. Sometimes we'll be in this conversation. And all of a sudden I look up and it's three hours later or four hours later. It's just kind of magical sometimes. So the moments in the studio while we're having a conversation and learning from each other and from other people
0: is like my freaking heart, man. Love the sense of community that I feel sitting in the studio with you guys and with other people and the conversations that we end up having. And they don't always get on the podcast. But the conversations that are had are just so incredible. And time seems to just stand still in there. (laughs) And I freaking love it
2: for sure I mean sometimes it's like our kids are dying and starving outside and waiting for the charcuterie board to be brought back in the house so they can chow down like it really time just like goes away in here and yeah like a lot of the conversations we have are before recording or after recording or stuff that they ask us to edit out when they're sharing something that's a little too personal to be shared publicly we say sometimes when we leave here I feel like I was just in therapy and And I know Jack Jr. said that when we came in here and interviewed him, we were walking back to the house and he put his arm around me and he's like, Mom, I feel like I just had therapy. That felt really good. I feel like I got stuff off my shoulders. I know I feel that way. And I know other guests have said, you know, I kind of feel like we just did therapy. And sometimes I feel like we need therapy afterwards. I love just interviewing each guest. It's
1: such a hope filled situation almost all the time, because it's just a reminder of how much good there is in every role in child welfare. Collectively as a whole, it can be difficult to look at. We see these people that are working within it and how passionate they are and how much they want good things to happen for kids. It's just such a hopeful thing. You know, it makes me want to keep doing what I'm doing and hope that you guys keep doing what you're doing. Kat, what is your personal goal to make positive change? in your community. I mean, I got to be honest. I just want to like paint all day by the beach or something, but that is not going to be doing. I really want to continue making progress in therapy with people. I'd like to specifically work with populations like kids who are in foster care people who have gone through trauma, people who are experiencing traumatic events. And I'd like to specifically work more with deaf people in general. I mean, I would like to make a positive change as a whole, but I don't have like a giant goal, but it is my like micro goal to just fill the cups of other people who are working in this role because I feel like so many people are struggling and overworked and tired. I like to encourage other people who are working in this area because I know how difficult it is. You know what I want to do? I want to rock the babies in the NICU that have been removed and don't have anybody to rock them. And that's what I'm going to do when I retire. Can I do that
2: too? Do, yeah. Can, can we all do I'll, it together? Can we yes. volunteer at the same hospital?
0: So what what is your personal goal, Nicole? Um, my kind of my first thought was foster parents are already background screened and all of the things, there's got to be other people that would be willing because it's less of a time commitment as a, than a, being a foster parent, but going into the hospital and sitting with the kids. My goal is to just continue being a foster parent because I think sometimes people become foster parents and things are really hard and people walk away. My teen has asked me multiple times, well, how long are you going to do this for? And in my head, I'm like, it's been two years. It's been like a snap of time. It's been no time. The answer to him is like forever. My goal is to kind of keep bringing that type of attitude and helping that other foster parents kind of see the positivity and stick around because they're so needed.
3: My personal goal is like still a dangerous goal for me to even try to do yet. I want to help addicts. Before they get their kids removed, show them that like drugs isn't the only way to live. Like you can do this without drugs, and like there are opportunities out there, and there are places that can help you without your world flipping upside down. But I feel like I need a sober companion to come with me because I don't feel like I could do it by myself yet.
2: I love that, and I love your self awareness of knowing that that isn't something that you're ready to do yet, but it is something that you're planning to do. Yeah, but that you're also protecting yourself. You have to protect yourself. You
0: impressed me so much.
2: I want to keep fostering as long as is healthy for my family. I want to make sure all of my kids, whether they're foster or adoptive, they're all getting all of the mental health services and any kind of therapy that I can provide them to help them heal from all of their stuffs. And I want to continue working on fostering the future to educate myself. And while we offer education to others, anything that we can do through this podcast to create a more understanding of foster care, help more people realize that it's something that they can do, and to help all of the parties in foster care understand that nobody's really the bad guy and we're all on the same team.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.